This is the Tech Talk for Accountants show with your host, Andrew Lassis, where every week we have a new guest to discuss the latest technology, apps, tips, and tricks to help you improve your accounting firm. This episode is brought to you by Tech for Accountants, an IT firm that specializes in cybersecurity for the small accounting firm. Many of our clients used to work at big firms that had all this crazy security and then went to work for themselves, and while they knew it was important to have great IT security, they just have too many other things to worry about and don't have enough time to actually learn this stuff. What we do is help bridge the gap so that even small accounting firms have great security at a fraction of the cost of doing it themselves, and it's all done for you. We offer listeners to the show a complimentary IT audit and consultation. Just go to tech4accountants.net slash podcast. And you can book a free IT audit. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lassis with Tech for Accountants, IT specializing in the accounting industry. And with us today, Ron Baker. And so happy. He's probably been mentioned on this podcast probably more than any other person on earth. And if that's not the case, then, you know, we love to speak in hyperbole, but uh, Ron, why don't you take it away and give people a little background on, on uh, who you are? Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, nothing bores me more than my bio. So I'll just say I'm a recovering CPA who started my life in a big eight accounting firm. And that's how you carbon date a CPA. You listen to how they refer to the big eight, the big six, the big five or four, and then you can put them in the right era. Uh, so I started in the big eight in San Francisco. And when I left that firm after two and a half years, I started my own. And what I learned really, really fast was that, and this is 1987, was that the billable hour was a crappy, and I mean crappy customer experience. And at the time I was studying uh, quality service leaders, what, what was then known as total quality service, TQS. Today we would call it customer experience. And I was studying companies like Disney, Lexus, FedEx, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, L.L. Bean, Gore-Tec. I wanted to emulate those companies and the billable hour didn't allow me to do that. So in 1988 or so, in the 89, me and my partner moved to value pricing. There was nobody on the circuit talking about it. There were no books on it. There were no consultants talking about it in the profession. We just did it because we thought it was one, the right thing to do for our customer and two, a better customer experience was better level of service. And it worked phenomenally. It allowed us to make more money doing less work with less customers. It allowed us to get rid of timesheets, which our team members absolutely loved. And so I started teaching this in 1994 to CPAs. And then 2001, I sold my interest to the firm, to my partner who still runs it. And I started teaching and writing and consulting full-time. And I've been doing that ever since. I think moving away from the billable hour is such a hot topic now. I mean, if, as, as time has gone on and more and more people have caught on and it's become less cavalier and more of, you know, Ron's been preaching this stuff forever and he's absolutely right this billable hour model, the timesheets model, this it's, it's bad on the administrative side and it's also on the customer experience side. So I'm coming at this, you know, from an IT perspective with an accountant of my own, and he has me on a subscription model. And I can tell you that just quick math, I probably pay him double what I was before he started adopting this. And 
I'm not paying him double and bending over and taking it. I actually prefer this a whole lot because I don't feel like I get nickeled and dimed. I don't feel bad asking him a question. And as we all know, mistakes are the expensive thing and your clients are usually the ones that are self-inflicting these mistakes. So he might, my first account, I recall he, um, when I first came to him, he says, Andrew, every year I get one atomic bomb return. This year it's you. It's you. Wow. Yeah. I, I bought QuickBooks online. It was 2014, 2015. And I just accepted all on the categories. I didn't understand how bank recs work or categorization. I was just like, hey, QuickBooks been around forever. It's, it's probably right. They probably know more than me. And then that was wrong. And so everything just went to crap and my accountant was mad at me. I couldn't get timely information. Nothing worked. And as time went on now, I have the accountant that I currently work with, who I think is fantastic. And I don't mind asking him a quick question, especially for things that actually make him look like the hero. Like I, I shot him a message saying someone on podcast was talking about ERC. Do I qualify? He's like, yeah, let me, he's like, this isn't my specialty. I can look into it, get you in touch with someone else. And it's a ton of money. And if, if it were a, I had to pay $50 for that email and to look into it for billable hours, it would have cost way less than the subscription model. However, I, and maybe this is just a internal thing for me, but I just, I don't like, I don't like the billable hour model as a, yeah. as a client. It's, it's like a nickel and dime kind of deal. I get less value. I'm afraid to use my accountant for what he is supposed to be used for. And if you think about it, if I'm reluctant to give him billable hours, then he gets less billable hours. I mean, that's, it's kind of obvious, you know, when it's broken down like that. So it's like, do something that your clients don't prefer and make less money and work harder. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what we learned when we implemented value pricing. We made every mistake in the book. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we didn't offer a guarantee. We didn't have options. We didn't do a lot of the stuff that I talk about today. But what we did do was we offered unlimited access. And we basically said, you can meet with us, call us anytime, anywhere, any length to discuss anything. Because what I learned, Andrew, just like your accountant said about the atomic tax return, I got tired of, of going through their documents at the end of the year and looking at something and go and, and asking them, why didn't you call me before you did this? And, you know, we all know why, because just like you said, they don't want to be nickeled and dimed. Now, it would just like you said, too, it would have been the best 50 bucks they ever spent. However, nobody wants to do that. So we, we this profession has put up a Berlin wall uh, between us and our customers, which I think is insane. And in a form of customer abuse, we tore down that Berlin wall and said, no, no, call us because the, the precise time that we can add the most value is before they do something, not after. After then, we're just playing firemen and trying to mitigate the damage. But before we get involved, if we're involved in the strategy and the, the structure and all of that, we can add a ton of value. So that was a big learning lesson for us. We thought, oh, geez, the customer's going to abuse us. They're going to call every day. They're going to camp in our office. Nobody does that. These are busy people. They have their own lives. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, that's a really good uh, customer psycho psychology to give them unlimited access. And, stop and prior, prior to me having the model that we're 
that I'm working with my current accountant with, you know, I had dabbled in uh, flipping rental properties and I was aware, I mean, you know, I'd run a business for several years at this time. And I mean, I started my first company like 20 years ago. So I know some stuff and it's probably that um, it's called like the Dunning-Kroger effect. Like the more you mm -hmm. learn, the more right. you realize that you don't know what you're doing. So, yeah. so like even 20 years into it, it's like, yeah, you still have, have no clue. But um, I had a, a real estate partner and I we were flipping condos and you learn really quick why that can and can't be the, um, the smartest move when you've got other things going on. But I had started up and I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll just make an LLC because that's what you do and you know, just do this and throw it in there and just hand in my old account. And it's like, here's, here's the uh, receipts and, you know, do your thing. He's like, I, I forget the exact thing. So I'm sure someone will like drill into this and be like, no, that's not the advice he gave. But it was like, you already have an LLC. So creating this other LLC, it was some sort of like, there was a big tax implication because it was a mm -hmm. partnership versus mm -hmm. a own, like a majority. A yeah. Whatever the, whatever decision I made was the exact wrong one to make. And it would have been easy for me to have done it properly. Had I just asked my accountant upfront, how should I structure this instead of, I know what I'm doing do this. And then it's like, well, I have to charge you an extra $800 because you set this up this way. There's no way around it. And, you know, mistakes are the expensive part. It's not the fine tuning. It's not, I wish I hadn't invested to make sure that I got the right idea or the right information. Like my, my wife and I, long story short, and it's not her fault, but we listened to people that pediatrician. So my son had what we thought was an infection on his, on his knee in a joint. And pediatrician says, if you don't get that handled, it's going to cause lifetime damages, blah, 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 blah. Take him to the emergency room. And they laugh at us. And they're like, that's a bug bite. It's not an infection. You, and so we got a $1,500 hospital bill for a bug bite. But I look at it like, I'd rather pay $1,500 and everything was fine than not have gone thinking that I know best. And frankly, I thought it was a bug bite. Not, you know, not super happy of spending it, but I got the right answer and I don't regret knowing the right answer versus what if I was wrong, right? And that Absolutely. was an infection on his joint and he has, he has knee problems the rest of his life because I didn't want to jump into that. So- so the idea of being proactive with your decisions, running, running the questions by your account, it makes for a better relationship. It's going to give you more value. And if you're not playing firefighter, you're able to provide more value to your clients, right? Yep. I'd rather be a fire insurance salesman than a fireman. Nothing against firemen, but a fire insurance you know, person can uh, stop fires from happening. And that's what we should be doing. But you know, one of the things that when we talk about the subscription model that I'm really enamored with is it's been going on in healthcare since 1996 is the concierge doctor movement and the direct primary care doctor movement. And these are, uh, you know, general physicians who you subscribe to their firm directly. 
and they basically tell you for X amount per month, you, you're covered for anything that we're capable of doing under our roof. Now, these are general physicians, so they're not going to do cardiac surgery. They're not going to cure your cancer. You know, if, they, if you need a specialist, you're going to get referred out to a specialist, but they'll probably quarterback that relationship. They'll probably come to you dur during the appointment. And it's that that I think we need to emulate in the CPA world because doctors are there not just to cure you when you're sick. They're there to keep you healthy. And CPAs are there to keep their customers financially healthy. And to be able to tell a customer whatever you need that we're capable of doing. So if you get audited and we do audit rep, you're covered. Don't worry about it. And it's just part of that subscription price. I think people will pay a fortune for that. I think that's a plus offering. It's a, it's a better value offering to the marketplace because a lot of these firms are starting up or, or, you know, going along and they think that, well, if we just do what everybody else is doing, you know, we put out a common offering. Well, you put out a common offering, you're going to get a common price. But when the concierge doctor who started this revolution, by the way, it was Howard Moran, Seattle Sonics team doctor. He was a general physician. He started MD squared, turns out to be one of the largest medical practices in the country in 1996. So this is 26 year old model. He charged 32 grand for a family of four. Each one of his doctors only had 50 patients. That was it. They capped their capacity so they could always cover emergencies, house calls, office calls, whatever they needed. They could take care of these 50 patients, just like he took care of his teammates on the, you know, the Sonics and give them great care. And that model flourishes. And that's what I think the model is for CPAs going forward. So in this model, say you've been doing the billable work or the billable hours, timesheets for decades. How do you make this transition? Do you just tell everyone, hey, we're subscription now, take it or leave it? What's, what's the transformation look like? Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of people ask, can I, can I, do I have to go to value pricing first? So all the ways that we taught value pricing for 26 years or whatever it's been, um, or can I just leapfrog over value pricing, just what I call value pricing 1.0 to value pricing 2.0, which is the subscription model. And yes, I do think you can leapfrog. I don't think there's any benefit. I just, just like poor countries leapfrog to cellular technology and got better coverage because they didn't have the legacy system of the wires and the landlines. I think the same thing's possible here. And, uh, you know, we're moving away from fee for service, just like doctors in this model. No longer are you in a fee for service. It's not about what you do to the patient or the customer. It's about what you do for them. And so the service becomes a means to an end. The service is not where the value is. The value is in the peace of mind, convenience, frictionless relationship, peace of mind, being able to sleep at night, knowing you're taken care of, no matter what happens, the accountants in your corner, all of that is a hundred times more valuable than pumping out a tax return or a set of books. And I think this model best reflects that it lets us monetize the relationship, not the services, the relationship. And that's a big difference. So for example, today in 12 or 13 cities, you can subscribe to Porsche and their top, uh, top tier is like 3,500 bucks a month. And you get access to seven Porsche models. 
you know, SUVs and convertibles and all of this. And you can trade out as much as you want. You can say, hey, I've got guests coming. I need an SUV. They'll white glove an SUV out. And they'll white glove away your whatever you're driving now. They'll do this at your office, your home, wherever. And they pay for everything except gas and tolls. They cover insurance and registration, everything. You don't ever have to worry about any maintenance, tires, brakes, nothing. And people say, well, how's that different from a lease or buying a Porsche? It's not tied to a car. You're subscribing to Porsche. It's a one-to-one -one direct relationship. And now they know a lot about you. They know your driving habits. They know where you go. They know your entertainment preferences. They know a lot about you, which they'll be able to monetize probably somewhere down the road, collecting all this data. It's a direct relationship. And it has nothing to do with the product or the service. It's tied to the company. And that's what I want to happen in the CPA, CPA world. I want to stop selling services and have customers like you do subscribe to their CPA firm. And the services are kind of, they're incidental. I, you know, people don't like to hear this, but it's true. All services, all products are just a means to an end. Nobody dry, but you know, buys a drill and a drill bit. We buy a hole in the wall so we can put up family pictures. And we've lost sight of that. We think everything is just, oh, the more services I stack up brick by brick by brick, the more value I add. No, sometimes removing services is the best thing you can do. It's funny you're saying this. I wish I wish we had this conversation like six years ago. It would have saved me a lot of a lot of headache before I, you know, had to had to figure this out the hard way before I realized everyone, no one in the IT world was was talking about it. It seems like it's a pretty popular topic in the accounting industry. And we had talked a bit about how there's a lot of parallels between the the IT person that goes out on their own and, well, I know so much about IT. Why isn't my business flourishing? Maybe I should learn more IT. And you know, same in the accounting industry of, you know, you're working for a bigger firm and then you go private and running your own, but you've got all this experience, you know what you're doing. Why aren't, you know, why isn't my business as healthy as mm -hmm. the amount of skill that I'm bringing to the table? Because in an employer employee model, there's usually a good correlation between the skill you have and the wages and the wages you get paid. But in a business model, your clients, and for the most part, I, I agree with you that they will commoditize and put you into a bucket. And well, you know, I think the Porsche example is perfect because when you speak of Porsche, there are people that will gravitate toward it and there are people that will be turned off by it. Yep. So the people that are gravitated towards it, just like you said, they're buying Porsche. They're not buying insert car, whatever it is. Like my, my sister-in-law, for example, has one and that is in alignment with her personality, her brand for lack of better. I mean, she is an influencer, so she does have a brand, but it's the idea of Porsche as a brand equates to her. There is probably a Kia alternative of the exact car she has. And if you look at the spec sheet, maybe there's a couple bells and whistles that Porsche has that Kia doesn't. But if you're just looking to buy a car for the sake of a car, you could get a clunker on Craigslist 
that is a car for the sake of a car, but the relationship and the brand and the identity that comes behind it is more of what people are getting. So when you are selling that experience and you're selling your company, so, I mean, a, uh, a just plug for basically how, how we do things, right? It's the IT4 accountants. And in the past, when we were, uh, when it was rush tech support, everything for everyone, I noticed we were losing clients to garbage IT professionals, but they charged less. And the clients didn't really value the relationship or what we were bringing to the table. And it was billable hours, essentially. So it was like, hey, I get the same service. So we're not looking at the end result or the what we're bringing to the table. It's just, I have commoditized what you offer and I put you into a bucket and it's not the Porsche versus clunker on Craigslist question anymore. You know, you position yourself as an authority in the space and able to provide a great experience for the client, you're going to have bigger retention. You're going to have more profitability. I mean, we have the same profitability now with call it 700, 750 accounting firms. We have the same profitability right now, Ron, that we did when we had 25,000 Wow. Everything else firms, the same profitability, five times less staff. It, it blows my mind when I compare the PLs to a staff of 10 versus a staff of 50, 25,000. I mean, there was a point we were getting a hundred new firms every single day wow. of all over the place. And it was wonderful, except for it was pure chaos and terrible, but We hone it in, the company's more profitable, we're able to provide more value and more expertise. So kind of maybe along the same vein, just curious of your thoughts on the niching idea. Is that sort of a, doesn't really tie into this, does tie, what are your thoughts on that? It does tie for sure. And I, I, I don't care what your business model is, whether it's hourly billing, value pricing or subscription, I think the riches are in the niches. I mean, I hate that. I hate bumper sticker lines, but there's some truth to that one. I mean, this is all strategy and positioning. And I think that firms are defined by the customers they don't have and the services they don't offer. So if you take a look at focus and just, you know, what the market, what kind of premium a market puts on focus, specialization, oncology, you know, versus a general physician, you and I would both fly to Rochester, Minnesota to go to the Mayo Clinic to get an oncologist who was a world expert in the type of cancer we were diagnosed with. Uh, We're not going to do that for a general physician. So by specializing, you're, you're widening your geographic territory, you're commanding a premium price, you're a deeper expert, you, you, I think you have more interesting customers, more interesting issues to deal with. But, um, and I, you're a tech guy, Andrew, you'll like, I think you'll like this example. If I compare the number of SKUs that HP has, and I think last time I looked, it was around 15,000, give or take, with how many Apple has, it's less than 100. Who's the more valuable company? Who's more profitable? 
and who's more focused. I mean, the thing about focus is kind of like a laser beam. Uh, a laser beam takes as much energy to run possibly as an incandescent light bulb, but it can bore a hole through steel because of its intent focus. And I think too many CPA firms are just too afraid to give up any revenue. You know, never met a billable hour I didn't like, never met a customer I didn't like, have no customer selection criteria. The only thing their customers have in common is they're just customers of the firm. Uh, if I had to do it all over again in my firm and I did not do this, I would have niched. And most firms won't admit it, but they're already niched. If you look at most firms, they have a cluster of customers in a specific industry, whether it's construction, restaurants, whatever it might be. And they're already niche. What they need to do is shed everything else and focus in on that niche, something that they're inspired by and passionate about. And then I think, uh, just like your story, you become you become more valuable, command a higher price. Apple's got a better brand than HP because it's focused. It's got a better brand than Sony because it's focused. And I think people, I've, I had gotten this advice from people that frankly had no experience in, and I've, I've sort of become selective at where I'm collecting my advice from. And in the beginning, you know, everybody had their suggestions and I knew absolutely nothing. So it was, it was fine until we started growing past a point that many of the people that I would have conversations with in passing had experienced uh, personally. And one of the things people, they'd say like, you need to get commercials. You need to get commercials. And, and I mean, that seems high level, like, okay, yeah. And I happened to come across a guy not knowing anything about him and his job literally is selling commercials. And so we get into the, the conversation. He's like, yeah, you know, like most times, you know, you drop 30 grand on the first one and you know, it's going to flop. And then you figure out what worked, what didn't. And then, you know, the next one you do another 30 grand, it'll do a little better. And, you know, maybe, maybe it by like the fourth or fifth iteration, you know, you start becoming profitable and then you just keep putting out the same one over and over. It's like, so it's $150,000 on a maybe. Is is what I'm, it's what I'm gathering because everyone says well, you should do a commercial, and just I mean I've learned a ton about marketing over the years and it's just like that's a broadcast message to everybody and you know you're on on top of a building throwing out flyers all day every day you'll eventually hit someone that's interested and you know is it a good return on your time is it a good return on your money. No. Does it work in the sense of it got something in the door? Yes. But if we're not focusing on where we're uh, spending our time and energy on the people that we're talking to, it's, it's just not going to work in the long run. And we had a lot of success with everything for everyone. And here's just another example of a great way of providing value in how actually our customers probably don't even understand how valuable it is because it everything we make it look easy after you've done mm -hmm. it enough times sure. but there was there was one instance and the client is they're they're on the subscription model and they have this really actually we'll just say they're the first people that we've come across that have this weird server connection issue with ATX. So they can't get their tax software to work, can't communicate with the server. 
blah, blah, blah. And we had the entire company digging into this one ticket. Nobody could figure it out. It was about 13 wow. hours total, the entire company trying to figure out this one problem for this one customer. And we figured it out and everyone remembers, oh yeah, remember the crazy ATX thing. And then we realized the next day we got the same issue from somebody else. Mm. And the fix is you check one box, you disable IPv6, blah, blah, blah. Very, very, very innocuous fix does the trick that works. And the next day, someone else calls them with the exact same problem. So ATX had an update and our clients that all have ATX are slowly trickling in saying, can't communicate with the server. I can't get worked on. And so the next time, okay, let me connect. Boop, uncheck IPv6. There you go. All right, thank you. Now it works. And if we're doing everything for everyone, these types of issues, 13 hours across the thousands of line of business software that's only going to apply to one client versus we keep seeing this crazy ATX ticket and we all know how to solve it immediately. immediately. So yeah, the first person's like, wow, they spent 13 hours fixing this. And that's so great. And on the business side, because we're not billing hourly, it's like, oh, that was a nightmare. But now the client calls in, they have an ATX problem and you get a quick little anecdote. Ha ha, first time we solved this, it was 13 hours. Let me fix it real quick for you. Boop, that was all you had to check. Have a nice day. And being able to convey that, seeing the same things over and over, it helps you dig in and the quicker you can resolve problems and the more familiar you become with very specific problems. So, you know, an accountant that say specifically works with IT companies versus one that specifically works with a restaurant, for instance, like a chain restaurant, right? In my, my background, I worked my way up Carabas, right? And we had mm. so much, so much in and out and turnover and mistakes every single day. It, it was, it was a nightmare. It was chaos. It was familiar. So it was just all I knew. And then getting into a company that has more stability and less, although the, the Drucker quote, it stings me having low Turner, but, <laughs> but you're, you're correct though, right? If, if but, you're not, if you're not making enemies, it's because you're not standing for something, right? Absolutely. And you're so right. I mean, even the market recognizes this. If you look at a company like Coke versus Pepsi, the market discounts Pepsi. It's called the diversity discount. And diversity is kind of like a tax, you know, trying to be all things to all people, not having a focus, not putting your yourself in a box, a strategic box that says, this is who we serve. We're not for everybody. Like you were saying about Porsche, um, Coke is more valuable than Pepsi because Coke only does beverages. Pepsi has got Frito-Lay, Taco Bell, KFC, you know, and the market penalizes them for that. The markets don't want diversity. They want you to stick to your knitting. They want you to do one thing really, really well. And I think the Apple HP example and other examples that we see with great, just think of the great greatest brands in the world. They're highly focused. Yeah. And the, well, then the argument, Amazon does everything. Oh, retail sells everything, but they, I would but definitely that's a platform. I mean, Amazon makes all his money on AWS. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, I was literally saying that yesterday with my wife. I was like, I was like, you know, what's crazy about Amazon? I mean, we buy so much stuff from us. Like they make so much of their money off AWS, like us getting, 
you know, diapers and junk off of it. They don't make money off this. They make no, money they off don't. AWS. Like their entire platform that they're known for is like a glorified loss leader. And I, I don't know their numbers, but I know that AWS is where they're part of their profit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, of course, Bezos would argue that the uh, the platform ge does generate cash, so it can make investments into things like AWS. Right, like AWS that. wasn't a thing when right. Amazon had like Started. a spray paint uh, like banner in his office. Right. I mean, they were books. Right, they, they were books. That books. was it. That was it. It was yep. specialized. All we do is books online, yep. and then they grew into what we know now. You know that nail it, then scale it type of business model of, okay, we've got the production. And I, I recall when I was um, in college, I took a class on, um, I was like, is machine learning or data, data forensic, mm -hmm. something, something uh, analytics. And they had said that Amazon actually got sued because their algorithm and the AI was so smart that it would change everybody's price in their account based on the maximum amount that mm. they knew that you would spend on a particular product. So they got in trouble because they had it honed in so well. So just stuff that's right. cool. You can take from the, um, you know, I, digging in and learning your customers example. I do remember that they had different prices for, for DVDs at the time and, and books, depending on your zip code. And I don't know if this is the same thing that's tied to what you're talking about, the algorithm, but that was part of it. They knew, and you know, whether or not you're a Mac user versus a Windows, they know that and Mac users are less price sensitive. So travel sites charge them a higher price for hotels and air, airlines. Yeah, this is, this is pretty well known in pricing circles. Yeah. Common practice. And I mean, if the person is okay, I mean, you probably wouldn't lead with, other people pay less because I mean, no one's, no one's right. going to be excited about that, but on the, on the customer experience, I was like, yes, this is a price that I find acceptable and I pay and just keep living my life. But when, when we're talking about special specialization people, it's like when they're kids, it's like, I want them to grow up to be, to be a lawyer or a doctor. And nobody is just a lawyer. It's like I'm a personal injury attorney or I draft, uh, you know, I do estate planning or, you know, right. there's a lot of different niches in the attorney. And yes, they, you know, went to law school past the bar, like to get to that level, to be able to call yourself a lawyer is a feat in itself. And it's not, it's not easy by any stretch, but you'll notice they all have some sort of specialty and having that specialty, that's going to bring people in the door. So, I mean, we, when we went from the transformation of the everything to everyone to just accountants, and we still, despite ourselves, we get referrals. So like we got like a, um, I, I forget what they do, but they're, they're, the company name was like something, something chemicals. And it was like, I don't think they're an accounting firm. Like this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is odd. And they're like, yeah, my accountant says you guys are great. So I, I asked the guy, like, could you do this? And so we just put them in the accountant bucket and, you know, we'd move from there. But the, the doctors and lawyers, you know, it's a specific thing. So, you know, in our area, we've got two divorce attorneys. So anybody that is getting a divorce can choose divorce attorney A or divorce, divorce attorney B 
And it's not just, hey, I'm a lawyer. I practiced law and I could do your, I could handle your divorce. Sure. You know, it's, it's specialized and they charge a premium for it. So, you know, but we, we get fearful of this. What if, what if I could have had someone that I could have helped anyway? And now they're not interested anymore because I only deal with retail. I only deal. And I mean, I can say like our transformation into it was we created a DBA and just tried it out. So, you know, we, like I said, we had 25,000 customers despite ourselves. So, you know, I wasn't going to throw away all of that on what was then an experiment. And now, you know, like of our last 500 customers, 499 are accountants, enrolled agents, CPAs, bookkeepers, somewhere in that realm. And I don't regret that decision. And everything's better. Everyone's happier. Every like less customer churn, higher renewal rates, higher value that we're able to provide, higher profitability. The downside, I mean, the, the downside is a chiropractor doesn't want to be my client anymore. Is is but for what I'm turning away versus what I gain from going deep, you know, these are, these are concepts. It's very, very scary to jump into if you haven't seen it in action. And when I made this decision, I remember very distinctly, my top salesman says, that's a stupid idea. It'll never work. And I was like, all these books say it will. I mean, maybe... Like, why do so many books say to do this if it didn't work? And right. I mean, luckily, it, I mean, it took only six months to really get the the momentum going on. All right, year and a half. It takes a long time to be an overnight success. And I don't think people would say a year and a half is a, is that much of a- No, not for what game. you did. I mean, you kind of re-engineered the business model. That's not an easy thing to do. You know, to do that, most companies have to spin out a new entity. That, that kind of slowly eats, cannibalizes the old one, kind of like what Intel did when, when Andy Grove said, hey, we're no longer a memory chip company, we're moving to processors. And he just, he just lopped off a billion dollars practically overnight because the Japanese were killing them in memory chips. They could sell them cheaper than it cost Intel to make them. He said, there's no future here. And he just said, that's it. We're moving to microprocessors. Um, Target, um, which was started by Dayton Hudson. Dayton Hudson had all, you know, they were a department store pretty big around the country. There are 316 department stores. This is back in like the late 60s. And then Target, I mean, uh, Walmart comes in, a little upstart in Bentonville, Kmart, you know, all these kind of low-cost retailers came into the market. And, of course, Sears was the big gorilla in the room. They were the Amazon of the day. They were 1% of the nation's GDP. And Dayton Hudson looked at this and said, we're getting squeezed. We're in the middle. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to be special to no one. And so they started a new entity. They spun out a new entity, gave it a different name. And, of course, that became Target. And eventually, Target ate Dayton Hudson, just cannibalized it. And now today, they're Target. Um, so it's really hard to do that, though. It's very hard to, for a company to disrupt itself. Most of the time when you're disrupted, it happens from outsiders. That's why Andy Grove said, 
you know, look, if we're going to be cannibalized, better to dine with friends <laughs> and, and cannibalize ourselves rather than be cannibalized by, you know, third parties. It's a really good perspective. And, you know, for, for us and just, you know, myself making that decision, like the writing was on the wall. I mean, there's so many, you know, losing business to like a geek squad, for example. And, I, you know, we're sitting here like, oh my God, we've got all these certifications. And like, you seriously, like, do you know how many cases we get of people coming to us because geek squad lost everything and we've got to do this that, and the other, like, don't you know it? And it's like, no, they, they don't, but they do just commoditize it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that, that, and people are using their computers less and less. And especially on the residential side, it's like, well, it's a couple hundred dollars to fix. And they're like, well, I, I'll just buy a new one. And before it was, well, are you going to buy a new one every time it breaks? Like, you know, get a service plan with us, always have it running, blah, blah, blah. And, but then the conversation started shifting like 2016, 17, where you say, are you going to buy a new computer every time it breaks? And say, no, I'm just never going to use it ever again. I have a tablet that yeah. does everything. Mm -hmm. My cell phone does everything I use a computer for. So once I, I started seeing that happening more and more and more, it was like, if we don't change and cell phone repair and on the IT side, it's like annoying. Like they don't really break that much. I mean, physically they do, but you, you don't run into too often of like, oh, my apps keep crashing, you know, right, like, right. oh, I got a virus. Like it's few and far between where stuff like that's happening. So couldn't move into the mobile space. And it's like, well, I don't see businesses just being run off of a cell phone anytime soon and professional services and taking a look at our client database. And a lot of our clients happened to also be accountants. So it was like, you know, maybe there's some sort of shift we could make here. And the IRS started pumping out a bunch of regulations and specialized in this and that, but, you know, making, making the, the decision to either cannibalize ourselves, like you said, or let the market do it. I mean, it was just a matter of time. And, you know, we'd get approached by uh, other companies and private equity, and they'd all be saying the same thing. They're like, yeah, you got all this now, but like, how are you going to bring in more people if no one uses computers anymore? And it's like, ah, oh, so you just come in here to lowball to get, to get a great right, price. Right. Some people are pretty, pretty smart with how that stuff works. I, I didn't know much about that world, but um, I, I know we're, we're going a little long. Let's talk really quick. In a couple months, you have a new book coming out. Could you give us a little background on that with the time we have left? Yes. It's called Time's Up, the subscription business model for professional firms. And it's all about the subscription model. So it talks about the concierge doctor movement in 1996. And then it talks about the direct primary care doctors, which is kind of the same thing, but they go after a different price point in the market. So just like you see hotels, you know, you've got Ritz Carlton and you've got Hilton Garden Inn, right? And a lot of these hotels have different price points within their own chain, within their own, you know, brand. Uh, of course, they're different brands or different price points. Um, but the DPC docs are going after kind of the middle class, lower middle class, Whereas the concierge is probably going after the top 5%, you know, 10% of the wealth holders in the country, but both are viable. 
Um, and because of that explosion, um, I think that's the model to emulate for CPAs. And the book explains everything that you need to do with your pricing, what you measure. Andrew, even the accounting is different. An income statement from a from a subscription model, as you probably know, is, is different than a, just a regular business that has inventory or a regular professional firm because the income statement's forward directed. It's got, you know, beginning annual recurring revenue and annual recurring revenue. And then you have to model customer lifetime value, which is not on the income statements, not in gap. And so there's all these things that are different in this business model. You have to bake in innovation. You have to, just like Amazon, constantly adds new products and service offerings to the to its Prime membership. You know, music, magazines, all this stuff that we get from Prime. Uh, you have to do that too. You have to continuously expand your offerings to your customer and stay ahead of that innovation curve. You have to make it as seamless and frictionless as Amazon does with one-click pricing. I mean, every everything's compared to Amazon. Everything from a digital experience perspective. So when they interact with your portal, if it's not as seamless as Amazon, that's what they're comparing you to. They're sitting there at their tablet and they're kind of pissed off. Just like I'd get pissed off when I'm at my grocery store uh, website ordering things and it doesn't work as good as Amazon. And it doesn't, it sucks. It's a terrible experience. I'm like, why don't they learn something from Amazon here? So it, it deals with all those issues and more, and it's coming out in November. Fantastic. And um, we have a, a uh, landing page for it, and I've, I'm going to include that in the show notes um, and as I'm, I'm digging up. So at thesoulofenterprise.com slash times up, they have a special order. Could you give us some of the the things that'll come with the uh, the pre-order of the book? Yeah, if they visit that landing page, thesoulofenterprise.com slash times up, and they pre-order the book on Amazon. It is up on Amazon, so you can read about it and send us a copy of the receipt. There's an email there. Uh, we will put you on a list to get you into our virtual launch party, which we're going to have in November around the time the book comes out, where me, Paul Dunn, and Ed Kless will facilitate a discussion about the topic, take questions, and then we're going to do another one probably in February or March of the following year and give people time to read the book and then come back with questions that we'll take. And also they will become a Patreon member of the Soul of Enterprise uh, period uh, through February 28th of next year. So we'll give them that uh, as well so they can listen to our show commercial free. Um, and that's all explained on that landing page. Very cool. So the soul of enterprise.com slash times up and Ron, thank you so much for being on the tech talk for accountants show. I feel like there, there's just so much that people could take from this episode. And I know the one, the ones where I'm just like you know, taking notes in my head of, okay, okay. I can apply this. Like that's, you know, it's, it's always, it's always great to, to have a thought leaders like yourself on. So uh, we hit on the landing page of the soul of enterprise.com slash times up. Where else can people find you online, Ron? They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm one of the LinkedIn influencers. So I've got blog posts up there and on pricing and subscription, all these other things. They can also find me at verisage.com, which is a think tank I run. And then they can hit me up on Twitter at Ronald Baker, or you can just email me at ron at verisage.com. And also, of course, the soul of enterprise.com 
which is the live radio show I do with Ed Class of Sage Software every every Friday from noon to one Pacific. Um, and that's a lot of fun to be able to work with Ed. Yeah, Ed, Ed was one of the, uh, was a guest a couple couple months ago and we were talking beforehand that the conversation probably had like 1% to do with accountants and like 99% to do with philosophy. Yeah, I thought you were going to say baseball because he's a big baseball uh, guy. But uh, yeah, no, he's uh, multiverse. Uh, he can talk about anything. So yeah, well, Ron, man. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great having you. Thank and you, as, Andrew. As always, if you are curious as to whether or not your IT company is actually keeping you protected or just want some peace of mind, you could go to tech4accountants.net and get a complimentary IT audit from us. Just mention that you heard about from the podcast and we'll do it for free. And Ron, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tech Talk 4 Accountants show. I hope you enjoyed today's guest. And remember, you can go to tech4accountants.net slash podcast to book a complimentary IT audit conducted by a technician certified by the AICPA in cybersecurity. Again, that's tech, the number four, accountants.net slash podcast.